Coming up today on the Audible, we will go way deep on the upcoming NFL Combine in Indianapolis with the best in the business, Daniel Jeremiah. Welcome back to The Audible. I am Bruce Feldman, joined as always by Stuart Mandel. And Stu, I'm about to go on the road in a couple of days to go to Indianapolis for one of my favorite events of the year, the NFL Combine. It's almost that time. I know you like it. I seem to love it. But this is time we some of our uh, college players we talk about so much are leaving us to move on to greener pastures. When it does come time to talk NFL draft, we love to bring on our friend Daniel Jeremiah from NFL.com. He is a former NFL scout, and you can find his work all over social media. He is on Twitter, at MoveTheSticks. Daniel, thanks for joining us today on The Audible. I appreciate you guys having me. You know how much I think of, of your guys' work. I just lift all the sound from your guys' podcast and throw it in mine, so uh, <laughs> that's where I am. Okay, Daniel, I want to start here. So Stu and I had a conversation the other day, um, and I'm not saying this would be my jump on the table moment for anybody, but I am I'm curious. So last year quarterbacks went in the top five. They went, you know, one, two, right? Um, yep. Now we're in the place where we have a guy in Deshaun Watson, high character guy. No one's going to question that, I don't believe. Uh Good athlete, maybe not a great athlete, but a good one, decent size, and really shined on the biggest stage when he lit up the Alabama defense, you know, back to back years. Um, I know the interceptions are a concern. That's part of the reason why, that's a big part of the reason why I think neither Stu nor I voted for him for the Heisman and why he didn't win it. Um, am I crazy to think that he has, he should be a top 10 pick? I wouldn't say that you're crazy because I think, you know, when you're evaluating these guys, it's almost like as a scout, you're a salesman, right? And so you have a product you can sell in the draft room of the things you just mentioned. You know, you talk about um, he's got, I would say, enough size. I would say he has enough arm strength. He's a good enough athlete. He meets those thresholds. And then after that, I think you look for some of the elite traits. And with him, it's it's character, it's work ethic, it's intelligence. Um, those are where his elite traits are. So that's what you can sell uh, to try and convince your GM to take a guy in the top 10. Now, for me, I couldn't do it for a couple reasons. Number one, the decision-making was a little bit inconsistent for me. Um, and then the accuracy, especially down the field, I thought was was troubling. You know, a lot of people will point to, you know, uh, completion percentage. That's not really what accuracy and ball placement is all about when you're scouting for the next level. You want to see where it's located and not, you know, can Mike Williams or, or, or Leggett make some circus catch? So I don't think he's pinpoint accurate. And you've got the 17 interceptions. And when I went back and looked at those individually, 11 of the 17 were what I deemed were poor reads uh, are just really forcing the football. And it was a decision-based based, uh, mistake. And, you know, that to me is troubling, especially in that type of a system where if you look at recent guys coming out of, you know, a similar-esque you know, system, you look at Marcus Mariota, you know, he had, what, four picks his last year. You look at Dak Prescott, he had five picks. And Deshaun Watson had 17. Um, that was an issue for me. Well, if, if he doesn't end up being the highest score, because we're talking about a guy here who, regardless of, you know, an evaluation of his skill set, clearly has, I mean, the most experience by far. 
of, of the three guys that are being hyped up the most. He led his team to two national championship games, three-year starter, whereas Trubisky started one season. Deshaun Kaiser started two, and the second one obviously did not go very well. What would prompt – what would have to happen between now and, and the draft? And, and if so, why would one or both of those guys pass Deshaun Watson? Well, I think you, you have to evaluate them. You know, obviously all those things factor in. You know, like my issue – well, I'm probably going to end up flipping Trubisky and Kaiser on my list here as the more work I've done, the more tape I've studied, the more I looked into it. One of the things that's just interesting, it's not the reason, but it's interesting, is that when you look at the 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL right now, only two of them uh, were under 60% passers and had a losing record their last year. Um, so, again, I don't put everything into stats, and I talked about completion percentage earlier, but only two, and that's Jay Cutler, who's about to be gone, and that's Trevor Simeon, who I think that Denver would like to be in position to upgrade over, and that's why you have Paxton Lynch uh, there. So that's 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 a problem with Kaiser. Uh, with Trubisky, I think it really is just kind of the, the length, the, the lack of, uh, of experience, because when I watched them just off this year, I thought he – um, clearly off this year's tape was the best guy in terms of working, you know, deep through progressions, making great decisions, throwing the ball accurately. Um, I thought based off this year, it was him. Um, so the question is, how does he, how do these guys pass up Deshaun Watson? Well, you guys work with somebody and I'll, I'll rattle off the same <laughs> things. You just made the argument for Deshaun Watson. And you tell me if it reminds you of anybody, he won a couple national championships. He played his best on the biggest stage He's smart. He has no issues off the field. Maybe doesn't have an elite skill set, um, but he's a quote unquote winner, uh, you know. And so that that is a little bit you can't you can't just base your evaluation off that. You're not talking about Tim Tebow, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not talking not talking about Timothy Tebow. Are you talking about somebody, about somebody else? Somebody else who somebody might from Orange who County, might, who might, uh, Yeah, I was gonna say somebody that might be roaming on the mean streets of Manhattan Beach. Oh, I see. And I love Matt. I love Matt, but I'm just saying that, that was the case, right? That was the case in the draft room uh, for Matt Liner. And that's, you know, so I'm just saying that's just an example of you got to evaluate how the skills translate to the next level, not just how they were in the wins and losses there. Yeah, I want to ask you about Deshaun Kaiser in this regard. So, and I'm a little biased here on this just because I know Mike Sanford pretty well. And we've talked a lot about him offline, but. In 2015, he has big-time left tackle or big-time tackles around him, and he has the stretch-the-field guy in Will Fuller. Did he regress this year, or did the, was it more a factor of the talent around him regressed? And, and how, does, how do NFL people view that? Do you view the, hey, he looked really good in 2015, and then you know we got to get him back to this point because we can surround him with better than what he has? Or Like, what's... Where do you stand on that? I mean, I came into this process with Kaiser clearly as the top guy, um, and that's based off last year. And I would say what you, you said last year, you mean 2015, right? 2015, correct. Yeah. So coming into this fall, I had him as the top quarterback. And then I go and see him live against Texas, and I thought this dude might be the first pick in the draft, uh, you know, with everything he can do. And so the last year's version, 2015 version of Kaiser is better than – 2016 Trubisky is better than 2016 Watson. I think it's that that's the best. But then you have to factor in this year, and I think that is valid point. When I watch cutups of every third and six plus throw that he made this year, 
he got hit on an overwhelming majority of them. I mean, he had he had pressure in his face all the time. Uh, they missed their their left tackle. Now you also had in the point about Fuller. There was a lot of separation. He had places to go with the football, and uh, and that wasn't quite the case this year. The problem that I did have is there were still a lot of opportunities when he did have a clean pocket, or I thought he kind of locked on some things, and I had some some questions with his vision. Um, and that was a little bit of a concern. So he's an enigma to me. I mean, if you said who has the greatest ceiling, I know a lot of people will point to Pat Mahomes. I, I still think that Kaiser has the highest ceiling of any of these guys. Is, is Kaiser 2015 similar to um, the second pick in the draft last year coming out of North Dakota State at all? Yeah, no, I think so. I think you can you can definitely see some similarities there. I, you know, by comparison, they, you know, they have us do all these comparisons, and I always approach that as what could they be at their best. Um, and from a skill set standpoint, I actually put Kaiser with Carson Palmer. Now, Palmer was the first pick in the draft. I, you know, Kaiser's not going to be the first pick in the draft. But just big, strong guys that needed a little bit of time coming out of college but have a really, really high ceiling. I think he's got that type of skill set. And he was a high interception guy at USC. Before his senior year, I think he was like 38 and 38 TD interception being Carson. There you go. Is there a quarterback further down the list? And I don't want to say who will come in and be Dak Prescott, but much like how Dak Prescott <laughs> was a and a, a mid-round pick who ended up having more success, or you know, at least off the bat, than the first two picks in the draft, is there a guy you see falling into that category? I think the two guys that intrigue me in that in that group are Davis Webb from Cal and Peterman, Nate Peterman from Pitt. And if you look over the last few years, it's been pretty interesting. If you look at guys, they have some, some things in common. When you look at Kirk Cousins, you look at Derek Carr, um, you look at Russell Wilson, obviously Dak Prescott, these guys are all guys that played out their eligibility um, they played in the senior bowl. They had a lot of snaps under their belt in college. They were mature kids who were all about football, who didn't have any issues, uh, were very singular focused and did not go in the first round for whatever reason, but they've had, you know, a lot of success. I don't know if I mentioned cousins in there as well, but throw yeah. him in there. Um, so when I look at that little checklist, I mean, you've got Davis Webb, senior bowl guy. You've got Nate Peterman, senior bowl guy. They, they both have the physical skills to make every throw you need to make. Now, weren't as consistent and have different stories about how their career went. Obviously, they're both transfers. Uh, but those guys outside of the first round or two that, that just intrigued me a little bit. In, in Davis's case, uh, it's not fair to compare him. To, like, Goff, had, I thought, had way better feet in the pocket, right? just a better sense of what he's doing than, than, than Davis Webb does. But Davis is a bigger guy. Would, would people look at Davis and say, you know, I mean, how much better can he get pocket presence wise and how much more do you think? I mean, co- coaches, kid, do you think that's something he can develop as he goes along? I think it's, it's the area where he needs to improve. Um, I do think you can get better there. And one of the things you can do if you're not, um, if you're not a, a great feel inside the pocket guy is that you can make up for a little bit of that with just how mentally sharp you are to be able to process quicker and get the ball out of your hand. So you don't have to navigate quite as much trouble in the pocket. Now there's going to be times where you, that needs to happen, uh, but you can minimize it a little bit with how quick you're, you're seeing things and, and get rid of the football. 
And I think as a coach's son and with what everybody says about him at Cal, you know, I've, I've heard a bunch of people say that, you know, when you go through there, the Cal coaches will say, you know, we tell the kid to turn the light off when he leaves because he's staying here later than we are uh, as coaches. So I think he, it sounds like to me that he's made of the right stuff uh, in terms of a work ethic standpoint. And you've got the physical tools, uh, you know, to make the throws and do what you need to do. He has some cleanup that needs to take place, a lot of it footwork based and that pocket movement stuff you talked about. I don't know that he'll ever be, you know, one of the best at that, but he can get better. So I understand why the author of the QB book is so fixated on the QBs here. Yeah, this is gonna, this could turn into an hour podcast. <laughs> I'm personally more interested in the running backs because we have some of the most accomplished recent college running backs all in this one draft. I'm looking at your most recent mock draft. You had Leonard Fournette going number six to the Jets. Dalvin Cook going number 14 to the Colts and no Christian McCaffrey to be found here in this first round. Uh, why in your mind Fournette over Cook? Uh, I've seen that debate uh, many times and why no McCaffrey? Well, first of all, that's like mock draft two of 75s do. So that's going to change. You'll, uh, you'll see those guys all make an appearance in there at some time. Um, I, I have four running backs in my personal top 26 you know, when you just look at how I rank these players, I throw Kamara in there as well. So I think they're four guys that are all day long, uh, you know, worth a first round pick. I have Fournette at the top of the list uh, just because of the combination of speed and power um, that he brings. I think when you, you know, you get in a short yard situation, he can do that for you. You want to finish a game, he can do that for you. I think a lot of people will point to Dalvin Cook having the advantage in the passing game which I will readily admit, I think Fournette got better in that area this year. And I think in an offense that features him that way a little bit more, I think he's, I think he can do what needs to be done. You know, he's not going to be uh, David Johnson and, or Le'Veon Bell coming out of the backfield, but I think he's more than serviceable to play on all three downs. And then just the physical toll he can take on a defense, um, I think he's pretty unique in that way. Uh, Dalvin Cook is a classic, you know, play all three three downs. He's dynamic. Um, he's always a threat to hit a home run. I compare him a little bit to Chris Johnson in that when you watch Chris Johnson, even when he was in the NFL, but in college, as you guys remember as well, he's going to go tackle for loss, one yard gain, 80 yard touchdown. So you got, you're got you going to live with some of those negative plays and, uh, and he's not going to really move the pile at all and grind out a lot of yards, but man, he's he can pop one at any time. And uh, there's tremendous value there. With McCaffrey, I love him. I think he can do a, a little bit of everything. I think he's stronger than people give him credit for. Um, he carried a heavy load. I don't know how many games he's had with 30-plus carries, but it's more than a couple. Uh, so I think he's a little more durable and can handle a little bit more of a load than people give him credit for. But he, teams are going to fall in love with him. From this point to the draft, his stock's going to soar, and he's going to blow people away when they meet with him. And they're going to coaches are going to say, "I can, I can use this guy in so many different ways." And mentally, he can he can pick it up immediately. I mean, he is a plug and play guy. The other one I want to ask you, and I know this is a loaded question, but we're talking about running backs. If and he has major baggage, but if he didn't have baggage, where would you put Joe Mixon in that group? Given how good of a receiver he is. He's he is he's bigger than almost all those guys. Maybe he's even bigger than Fournette, and he has and he looks like he has really really good feet too. So is he? Where would you put him if he didn't have these big issues off the field to deal with? At worst, Bruce, he would be second for me. At worst, 
And, you know, I would kind of want to watch it throughout the process. I wouldn't rule out him being, you know, the top running back. And I mean, he's that gifted. I mean, you can just watch. If you just want to watch one game, uh, I want to say it's Houston where he catches the one-handed catch right down the pipe, right? I mean, he has some – he makes he – he showed you everything you needed to see in that one game that uh, shows you just how rare he is. I've compared him to David Johnson uh, with what he's done at, at the professional level. I think that as a player, Mixon can do all that stuff, but you can't talk about him without talking about all that, that comes with him and, and what's in his past, and that's going to be um, – in some ways, it's going to be an easy thing for personnel departments because it's taken completely out of their hands. It's going to be put in the hands of the owner, and the owner is going to either say yes or no, and you live with what he says. If there are enough teams that think as highly of him as you do, I have to think he'll go higher than people think. You'll have to take the publicity hit, and you'll have to deal with that risk. But if if, if somebody thinks he's that good and could change your franchise— then maybe not first round, but certainly much higher than the people who initially said, oh, he might not get drafted at all. I would be shocked if he did not get drafted. That would really shock me. The only thing I would say that could counter your point is, you know, been in that draft room, if you're sitting in there and the owner walks in, and with this particular draft class of running backs, the guys we just mentioned along with a whole host of others, you got an owner that's going to pop his head in there and say, wait, hold up. You've got, you know, 14 running backs with top four round grades, and you're going to pick the one that I got to deal with all this stuff. Like, can't you find somebody else? Maybe he's not as good as Joe Mixon, but we can find a really good player and not, and not have to deal with this situation. So that's the other side of the argument. I want to get back to one, at one point, Pat Mahomes, and I'll, I promise to myself, I will do it before we leave, but Stu will, will push me on this. Um, we, we, this seems like it's a great group of edge rushers and defensive linemen. I, I, you know, I want to throw in Miles Garrett because it sounds like he could be the top pick on the draft. One guy I think will be very interesting. We had some conversations. I know I had conversations with you know, my colleague uh, Brady Quinn on Solomon Thomas. Where do you stand on him? Do you think Solomon Thomas is a come in and could be a double-digit sack guy within his first two years? I think he's the best interior pass rusher in the draft. Um, I know right now I have him around nine or ten or so overall on my list, and you know as a, that that was a couple weeks ago. And as I've done more guys and different offensive linemen from other teams, and just done more tape, he just keeps popping up and showing up. So finally, I said, okay, forget it. I'm going to dig in. I'm going to watch. You know, I watched a, a cut up of all of his production, so I saw every tackle that he made for the whole year. I went back and watched a couple more games, and I'm like, I, mean, I know I got him at nine or ten, but I'm too low. I mean, I think he's worth a top five pick. I mean, he's he is so explosive, and it's so hard to find guys like that. He can play on the edge. I mean, he's gonna be 270 pounds, 275 pounds in that range, which you shouldn't be able to hold up as well as he does inside, and a little bit out of position at times. Uh, but man, I look at a guy that can be a you know can play end on on uh, rundowns and beat up on tackles, and then when you get in passing situations with his explosiveness, uh, NFL guards are going to have a real tough time blocking Solomon Thomas. Become kind of interesting in that he's become kind of polarizing is Jabril Peppers, and that started even before the draft process. Where I mean, we got into it on here on the podcast about we didn't think he should be a Heisman finalist and and whether he's even being hyped up too much as this superstar defensive player. Now we get into the draft process, 
And it sounds to me like now people are torn about whether he should even go in the first round. You have him as the last pick of the first round to the Patriots. Um, what, what's going to happen here with him in terms of the debate over, I mean, what was basically seen in college as his defining strength that he could play so many different positions seems to be working against him now in the draft. Yeah. I mean, the challenge is it's to me, he's one of those guys every year, there's a couple guys that just kind of yo-yo through the process, right? They're, they're, you know, they come in with the initial expectation. They're really high and teams are excited about what they've seen when you're studying other guys and you just kind of peek at him and you see the flashes and you get really excited. And then you had the next wave where people really dug in and studied him and said, well, wait a second, he's not really going to play this role at the next level. We're going to ask him to play as a safety. It's going to be kind of a different deal uh, than what he's done here at Michigan. So we've got a draft class with the best, probably the best uh, defensive collection of talent we've seen in a long time in terms of depth of guys that they're going to play the same position for us that they played in college, and we're going to pass over them to take a guy who we're projecting to do something different. That So then, okay, it comes down a little bit. But now, I go through the workout phase, I've been told the guy's going to run the four threes. So he's going to blow away all the testing, and you're going to see the athlete that he is, and you know, you guys would know as well as anybody, but everybody that I talked to that's associated with the program there said he's a real competitive kid and he's, you know, he's made of the right stuff. Um, so I think you could see him kind of surge back up. Uh, that's I, If I was going to put the sweet spot for him, I think he's going to go between 25 and 35, somewhere in there. He's going to be a late first-round pick or an early second-round pick. Um, and I know, I know you've got a, a Pro Bowl caliber returner, and I know you've got a fast, explosive athlete, and you got to just plug him in and kind of figure it out as you go. I have a big picture question. So now you work for NFL.com, and when you do some of the when you when you put out whether it's a top fifty or a mock draft, let's say there is a guy, and there's one off the top of my head who you know I felt like was a really productive player. Always heard really, I had heard from people within the program that he's very talented. Uh, but has some baggage, but I'm not sure of the baggage, unlike Joe Mixon, where there was an incident, yeah. it got a ton of attention. This particular, you know, it's like basically when it comes to a drug issue. Um, yeah. How do you dance around talking about that when the guy, if he didn't have the drug issue, probably is a top 25 pick, but because he does, he might not even be, go in the first two rounds. Like, how do you, how do you handle that publicly? You know, I, I don't think there's any rule book or guideline, you know, on this side of things of, of how to handle that situation. But I just kind of have my own philosophy on it. And the way I deal with it is I'm not in the business of breaking news on off the field issues with guys. That's not what I, I, not what I want to do. So there's several guys where you know stuff, but it hasn't been made public. And I'll kind of try and factor that in to how I rank these guys or how I slot them. Uh, based off that information, but I'm not in any hurry to be the first one to go out in the press and to, you know, hey, this guy's failed this many tests or this guy's been in rehab or whatever. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Now, once all that stuff, and usually it all ends up coming out at some point in time, uh, then I'll then I'll weigh in on address it and kind of how it could affect him. But uh, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just volunteer that information up. I don't want to be in the business of trying to totally trash these dudes. Right. Um, so this coming week is the combine and it's become extremely popular. It's now televised by your network and Bruce watches every second of it. Um, and yet I've always been a little puzzled 
how it carries so much weight as opposed to, you know, watching them play football. Uh, what what do you personally look to learn about these guys? And are there anybody particularly interested to see in this year's combine? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I totally get what you're saying there, too. To me, this is why I, I think it's smart for teams. The majority of teams do this, but you have your big set of draft meetings before the combine. A lot of teams are in draft meetings in the run-up to the combine. They'll go home for the weekend and then come right back out to Indianapolis for the combine. Because you want to get your board set and anchored based off the tape, which is by far the most important aspect of the evaluation, and then not allow that combine. If you wait to set your board and you go to Indy, maybe you had fourth, fifth-round grades on a guy. He blows it out. When you first put that card up, it's a lot easier to move him way up. When he's already situated in the fourth round, fifth round, it's a lot harder after he, you know, runs a four three to then launch him up into the first round of your draft board. Um, so you got to take it into context of, of of where it is in the process. But I do think there's value in the sense that we have, you know, a hundred juniors every year now. It seems like we don't have official heights and weights on these guys. So that's first and foremost. You got to find out what that is, uh, which is important. You've got the interview process. You've got the medical. So that's extremely important, obviously not on TV. And then the testing stuff, I think for certain positions is more important than others. I mean, like, for instance, the 40 for corners is huge. It'll have a big impact on these guys because you might have seen him in quarters coverage and he's playing bail or he's in bail technique. And, man, I don't know if this guy can really run because I've never seen him tested really vertically. And now we're going to draft him, ask him to be a press man corner, and we find out the guy can't run. Uh, so I think that's a valuable tool for, for a position like that. Now, a 40 time for an offensive lineman, not so much. So I think you got to kind of decide, you know, what, what is important here and, and what isn't. Hey, let me ask you about um, the, na- the business of scouting. So as I mentioned, you had – come up through the scouting business and worked for it in the NFL, but you were a college quarterback and played at Appalachian state. So walk us through how you learn the business and, and how you get to, uh, you know, maybe the key things you look for, for positions that maybe you didn't know to look for. Obviously when you're, when you're playing, you know, you're looking at film for a different purpose. But what is it that, you know, how, how is the process of how you learn to look for key things or different things, why you watch film or why you watch games maybe differently than the average diehard football fan is like, you know, looking for certain things? Well, I mean, it's a good question, Bruce. The, uh, the, the cool thing, uh, I guess I was just a, I was extremely blessed and, and fortunate, but um, I got hired by the Baltimore Ravens two years out of college. And the way the Ravens develop their scouts, I think, is, is the best in the business. They hire young guys. Um, they train them in the building for two years. So they don't just give you a laptop and a notebook and say, go to colleges and start scouting players. Um, so they train you. You're under Ozzie Newsome. You're in the building every day for two years, and you're learning how they evaluate, what they look for, what what do we want in our players here for the Baltimore organization. And it's just like going to a master's program on, on how to evaluate. So that was where I was very fortunate to sit and learn uh, under those guys. And, and then uh, in terms of how it's different, you know, I, I think probably the average, you know, if you're, if you're watching a game and you went to the school or you're a fan of a, of a pro team, I think you might you might look and say, okay, did they 
did they win the reps, right? So if you're an offensive tackle, well, the guy you're blocking didn't make the play, so you, you, you did it right. Well, when you're scouting, you're looking at that and saying, okay, well, the result was good, but the process wasn't, and this is not something that's repeatable. This is something that's going to be an issue somewhere else. Uh, so it's not it's not the end result of the play. You want to watch and see how they got to that point and if it's repeatable and if there's improvement that can be made. Um, so you end up getting kind of bogged down a little bit in the minutia. Uh, but it's a, yeah, it's a, once you kind of go through the scouting thing, you don't just sit there and watch a game and go great catch. You mentioned earlier you're going to end up doing like 75 mock drafts. And this is just such an insanely popular thing. I mean, everybody, this is such a big industry and everybody's scouring for the latest mock drafts. Um, what are the biggest factors that cause you to revise it from, let's say, right now to like, you'll do another one, I assume, after the combine. But I, I guess my question is how much of those mock drafts are your based on your own evaluations and how much is based on I'm hearing that the Giants are interested in such and such? It's 100% the latter. So the way I kind of explain it is my top 50 list is how uh, I view the players, my opinion, what I see. The mock draft is from, you know, looking at needs and talking to people, and it's what I hear, you know, what teams might do. So uh, that's how those come together. Now, the one mock draft that I'll say that I care about is the final one that you put together because I've taken everything – into account from all the different people I've talked to and, and, and tried to, you're really trying, you're hoping, you're crossing your fingers, maybe I get some of these right. Um, for the rest of them, I think I'm scheduled to do eight of them. Uh, so a lot of times I will go with what I hear combined with, okay, let's say, how does this change? How does this domino affect everything else? If this team were to take this guy a little bit higher than maybe we think would go, and now all of a sudden now that corner is not there for this team. So they have to take a different, different position and it's kind of the domino that falls uh, and affects all the other teams. So uh, those are the different type of, uh, of, of exercises I do when I'm doing these mock drafts, but I laugh people, they, they love them. I don't really, they're not my favorite thing to do. Um, but I've gotten to the point now where people get so upset and uh, to the point where it can be kind of entertaining in like a Jimmy Kimmel mean tweets kind of way. Uh, to enjoy how teams uh, look at the process. So I'm very fascinated by what's going to happen with Pat Mahomes, not just on draft day, but to see what kind of player he is. Because he is so raw, not just from the system he plays in, but how he plays in it, I, what do you make of him? Would you, I mean, would you roll the dice on him as like a third-round pick? I, I think I'd be okay with the third round, but I don't think there's any chance he's going to be there. I mean, I think there are some teams that have really talked themselves into to Pat Mahomes, and they see the size and the big-time arm strength. He's a really good athlete. Um, my problem with him and what I really struggle with is just so much of his game is off script. Um, it's just running around, making crazy plays for better or for worse. Um, he's his, Mechanically, he's always off platform, you know, which you need to do on occasion in the NFL. He does it in a clean pocket. He will just fade away. He won't incorporate any of his, his lower body. He's got such a big arm, he can kind of get away with it. But I went through his interception reel, and uh, there were a ton of them, but when you go through them, he has like four interceptions where it was literally just, it was like playing three flies up at the park where you just throw the ball as high as you can, and there's four dudes down there, two play for you and two play for them, and you just wait and see what happens. Um, so when I try and 
project that forward, that's difficult. How is he going to function inside the system? How is he going to be able to play within the parameters of the, of the call? Um, I think that's going to be a major development uh, process. All right, my last one, I think, and we'll close the podcast on this. The guy who will go to the combine and be the biggest freak there, will it be the tight end for Miami and Joku, or will it be somebody else? I love Njoku, man. He is he's he's one of my favorite players in the draft. The other tight end is that Adam Shaheen from Ashland. Um, I'm anxious to see how big this dude is because he is fun to watch on tape. They list him at six six two seventy seven, um, and he can move. So uh, he'll be one I will definitely keep an eye on. But in terms of somebody that's going to blow up the combine, it seems to me this year the West. Uh, a lot. Of, I, I got to go back and read your Freaks article, uh, Bruce, for this last year because it seems to me that there's a high concentration of guys in the West this year. When you look at John Ross, who's going to run low four threes. Um, Michael Rector. Yeah, might. Michael Rector can fly. He can fly. You've got Rector that can fly. Adoree Jackson's going to jump out of the gym and he'll he'll run well. Uh, Joe Williams is going to run really fast. Fabian Moreau ran 4.39 for scouts in the spring last year at UCLA, so he's obviously going to roll. So, yeah, there's. I think this is going to be a really fast year. Do uh, you guys want to go uh, – you get to pick one guy who's going to be the fastest at the combine. Do you have a choice? I will take Michael Rector. It's kind of a, a sleeper pick. I'll be honest. I had no idea he was considered that fast. I want to say electronic. They had him in like the four threes at Stanford. My choice, uh, I'm going to go Kermit Whitfield. Wow. Yeah, I didn't even know he was getting invited to the combine because he's a legit track guy. He's a 10, 200 meter guy. Daniel, let me ask you this. When you watch a college football game on a Saturday, you know, we're not talking about film study now, just like you're watching it on a Saturday in real time. Are you able to just watch it and enjoy it for what it is? Or are you just constantly like looking for scouting tidbits about each guy? I try and just enjoy it. You know, the fun thing now is my, is my kids get a little older. You know, my oldest son is 13. So he's, he's a big football fan now. So uh, to just watch the games with him, I, I'm watching college football. If I'm home, I'm not out of the game, then I'm going to. I'm going to try and just enjoy it for what it is and the, the pageantry and, and all that goes with it. It's, I love it, man. I, I look, I work for NFL network and I, I, I enjoy the NFL like nobody's business, but I, I, I'm a college football guy. So that, that's my favorite thing to do is 500 games on and flipping back and forth and watching all those. That's, that's a good Saturday. I think we would both agree wholeheartedly with that. <laughs> All right, Daniel. So tell people how they can, aside from the Move the Sticks Twitter account, how they can keep up with your work and the mock drafts and everything else you're doing. The best thing probably is just if you could check out our podcast, the Move the Sticks podcast. It's me and Bucky Brooks, and two former scouts, and we just have a lot of fun on there talking about players and teams and fits and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you can find it there. We've got a bunch of videos on YouTube. So uh, you can go to the NFL channel and there's pumping uh, Move the Sticks on there, the Move the Sticks playlist. We have a, a bunch of stuff on there on NFL guys as well as some of these guys in the draft. And then NFL.com for all the other goodies. Hey, Stu, do we have time for one other question? <laughs> sure. <laughs> it's not even for the 2017 draft. Uh, since Bucky is a big Dexter Lawrence guy because of his upbringing, uh, yep. any, anyone you want to declare who's going to be the first pick in the 2018 or 19 draft while we got you? Well, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, uh, "I said, uh, okay, I got, I got a real sleeper for you." And he said, uh, "Who is it?" I said, "Well, he's not in this draft. He's in a future draft." I'm telling you, nobody's heard of this guy. 
Um, he's unbelievable. You're going to be shocked. And he goes, who? I go, yeah, this defensive tackle from Houston. I don't know if you've ever heard of him uh, before, but yeah. holy crap, is he good. And we all started laughing. Everybody knows who that Oliver is. But I had, I was doing the corner from there, uh, Howard, I think is his name. And uh, I said, I, I was going to look up to see what number he was. And after two plays, I did not need to, to look online to figure out which one he was. Yeah, it'll be interesting because those both he and Lawrence are calling off their fresh, true freshman season. So it's going to be two more years before they're in the draft. A lot can happen between now and then, but it'll be fascinating to see that play out because I think those are, without question, the two best freshman defensive tackles we've seen in a long time. And by the way, for next year, I don't think I'm breaking any news, but those uh, the two quarterbacks in Los Angeles are pretty dang good. Yeah, that would be uh, USC Sam Darnold and UCLA's Josh Rosen. I hadn't thought of that until you just said it, that Darnold would actually be eligible a year from now, huh? What do you guys think on that? You, I mean, you got to know the kid a little bit. I've kind of told some people just from, you know, people I know or that are around him, they say, you know, it's not a slam dunk. Even if, he, even if they told him he was going to be the first pick in the draft after next season, the kid's, you know, he's an Orange County kid. He grew up a USC fan. You know, to come back for his redshirt junior year wouldn't be a big surprise. I mean, I know yeah. we're a long way off from that, but it's going to be, that's going to be a topic, I promise you, all throughout the year. Yeah, I mean, he's he's terrific athlete. I mean, he's even bigger than, you know, Josh has good size. This guy has better size. Josh is a good athlete. This kid's a better athlete. I don't, you know, I mean, he's young. He had problems with, you know, turning the ball over a little bit with fumbles and different things. But, you know, talking to his family a lot, he's got a really interesting pedigree. I mean, they're, they're two interesting quarterbacks. I mean, he's a lot, I want to say he's a lot more low-key than, than certainly Josh Rosen is or the persona of Josh Rosen. But, uh don't you don't you think though that that Darnold kind of taken over the way he did and got all the attention? I mean, you don't even hear anybody talk about Josh Rosen anymore. Don't you think that in the long run for Rosen that could be the best thing for him just to kind of take a back seat and you know no more talk about the jacuzzi in the dorm room and just kind of you know just get back well, to work? Well, I, no question. And certainly, you know, they had a bad year. I don't think he had anywhere near the skill talent around him that certainly Sam did, but. He got year, hurt, too. He missed yeah, quite a few. Yeah. But yeah. year three, third coordinator, third quarterback coach. I mean, you, you work with Jed in Baltimore, right? Yeah, I was with Jed. I know Jed real well. He's a really good coach. So this should be a better fit for him than what he had last year with Kennedy, Polamalu, and that offense, and I think what they were trying to do. But we'll see. I mean, his comeback is going to be the one of the more interesting stories or subplots of this coming season, no question. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, no, nothing was uh, – that wasn't his issue last year. Just, you know, he was the talk of the town, obviously gets hurt. Um, the team kind of falls apart, and you just – he's a name that you don't hear much anymore. Yeah, my gut is that will change once he, you know, once he gets back out and through spring because he's the face of the program. And I think there's there's some pressure on Jim now to get it going because they'd fallen off and and the programs kind of crossed in, in different directions. You know, there was so much pressure on on Clay Helton after the first month of the season with the way they started. And then all of a sudden, you know, the bottom drops out at UCLA and USC goes on this great role and especially the way they finished the Rose Bowl. And and, uh, you know, right now, Sam Darnold can do no wrong. And, and I think that's something that, you know, USC really needed considering where they were coming from and all the stuff they were dealing with. Not, and, I, you know, not to point the finger at Clay Helton. I think a lot of it was USC's own doing way above his head. That's a good point, man. I'll tell you what, the, it just hit me as we wrap, as we wrap on this thing that uh, how, how much of a bummer it is because I love listening to your guys' podcasts when I drive into work. 
but I don't listen to myself. I, I, I don't do that. I drive myself crazy. So I, that's just, I have a commute now where I have nothing to listen to. I just realized that. <laughs> well, maybe just wait and catch up on some old episodes when that time comes. <laughs> I'm going to go back what. and listen to that Urban Meyer interview again. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, that'll hold me over as I get on the 91. Thanks. All right. Well, Daniel, I look forward to seeing you in Indianapolis in a couple of days. And thank you for taking the time and sharing your perspective with our listeners. Thank you guys for having me. You know how much I think of you guys. You do great work and uh, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Daniel. We thank Daniel for coming on. And as always, if you enjoy The Audible, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And we are overdue to answer your listener email. So please send those to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.